Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church, and we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. What is prayer? Stale tradition? Ritual? A good luck charm? Part of some religious checklist? Done to appease a higher being so we can get what we want? Or at least avoid the lightning bolt? Prayer has been redefined and twisted and confused. But at its essence, prayer is simply talking to God the God who spoke the universe into creation, who gives us life and breath, who holds all things together. This God wants us to talk to him. In the vastness of all that exists, he actually cares about us, personally, individually. How can we not pray to such a loving God, wherever we are, How can we not thank him for what he's done or cry out when we need help, when we need forgiveness, when we're afraid, when we give thanks for our blessing or question where our next meal will come from? Why would we live a life apart from him? It's not about formula. How could any posture or well-chosen word impress the author of time and space? It's simple obedience. God has made himself available to us. He wants to hear from us. He wants us to trust in him, to acknowledge our dependence on him, to draw near to the one who loved us first. Approaching with confidence because Christ has torn away the veil. He's washed away the sin that kept us from his presence. And we live in relationship with our Lord. And so we ask that his kingdom come, his will be done on earth and in our lives as it is in heaven. That is prayer. Wow, what a thought when Jesus prayed that high priestly prayer in John 17, he said, this is eternal life. What all of life is about is to know the one true God and the one whom he has sent, Jesus Christ. The thought that we frail, broken, sinful people can know the creator of the universe. And that he invites us into this ongoing conversation that we might have fellowship with him through prayer. And if you're anything like me, when you think about prayer, you feel incredibly small. Like there is so much more 
to my prayer life that there should be than there actually is. So I'm real excited about this new Reverse series over the next 13 weeks talking about prayer. We, the church, desperately, desperately need it. We're gonna get there, we're gonna get there. But before we do, I wanna mention a few things during our life together moments right before we get to the sermon. I wanna do kind of a little thing during our life together and I'm calling it, Did You Know? And so over the next few weeks, I'm gonna use about 30 seconds to let you in on something that we do in the life of our church family that you might not be aware of. So here we go. Did you know that we have ongoing ministry to Afghan refugees? Ongoing ministry to Afghan refugees. Every month we have a team of people that are working with Afghan women and teaching them how to speak English. We have a team that's working with Afghan refugee children every month. We have been donated needed items over the course of the year and more. We have ongoing work in our city every month. Did y'all know that? We have so many things that God is doing through and in our church family that we can celebrate. Can we celebrate that just for a moment? That we can thank the Lord for using us and the resources he's given us to be the gospel and to speak the gospel to people in our city. You can get more information about that. There's a QR code, I don't know if your phone can actually reach that, but if you want more information about how you can involve, get involved in this particular ministry, just come grab me, or if you know Byron Pitts, grab him or someone else who's involved in the ministry. We would love for you to get engaged. So there's your first did you know moment. Also, something else that's happening this week is marriage in 3D. Now, some of you know what marriage in 3D is. It is a date night event in our church family life where we invite you to drop off the kids at six o'clock, go out for a date, come back here around 745 and, and be encouraged, have fun together, uh, and at least be prompted to have meaningful conversation on the way home. So that's happening June 9th. We've invited uh, jazz pianist um, Frederick Sanders to come um, to play some music. His wife is joining him, and she's gonna be singing as well. We're super pumped uh, that he's coming, and they have an incredible marriage story. Um, so I'm super excited. Today's our last day to register for childcare to be a part. Uh, you can still come. Um, if you register past this date, you, you just won't have access to the childcare that we provide at the church. But put that on your radar. It's going to be a great, encouraging, equipping evening. Also, want to let you know that Lord's Supper is coming up next week. Now, I say that because we provide for you, moms and dads, um, just a little instruction sheet on how can I talk about this with my family at home, with my kids at home. Uh, that should be in the back in the for you. Just look around. I don't know exactly where they are in my brain, uh, but they're out there. Um, but if you don't already have one of those, take those, use those, teach your kids uh, why we do this thing that we call the Lord Supper. All right. Now we get to begin our brand new Reverse series about Prayer. If you have your worship guide, please follow along with me. We are in um, the book of Ephesians to start this series off. In fact, 
Most of this series over the next 13 weeks will be in the New Testament, save one or two weeks. I think we'll be in Daniel uh, one week. But over the next 13 weeks, we're, be, we're going to be asking our, ourselves the question, how ought to we to pray? What does prayer look like in the life of the church and in our individual lives as well? And we start off in this little letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus and that other churches eventually were able to read, including our own, which is pretty incredible, that we have this, this letter that was originally written to Ephesus and now is in our hands. But this is where we begin. And just a brief word about this little letter. Now, first said, this is a letter. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul, which he wrote in prison, to this little church that he had started. He had spent more time in the town. The city Ephesus was actually not a little town. It's a pretty, pretty big town with a metroplex around it, a lot of people. He invested two years of his life teaching and planting churches in and around that area. And as with all the churches, he had a deep affection for this church in Ephesus and the other house churches that were meeting and had a conviction and a, uh, as a father of the faith to nurture them, encourage them, to teach them about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so we have this letter that we call the letter to the Ephesians. Now, it's a remarkable letter, and we can't spend a lot of time here, but the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul just celebrates the work of Jesus in the gospel. He wants these Gentile Christians uh, they didn't grow up in, in the Jewish faith. Uh, they didn't know the Old Testament, but they have encountered Jesus, and now they have been united with the Jewish people and become the people of God. This is astounding. Uh, Paul is rejoicing that once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. It's pretty incredible. He says things like this from the very beginning in chapter one, he says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. He says, I want you to know, you church at Ephesus, nothing is withheld from you. You're now united in Christ just as much as the Jewish people, those who have come to faith in Christ, are united with him. He says things like this, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you his Holy Spirit. He says in chapter three, and this is God's plan, this is in verse six, both Gentiles and Jews who believe in the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Paul's just going off. He says, I want you to know what you've inherited in Jesus. You are his children. You have been forgiven and you are being restored and you'll be completely restored when he returns. And he wants them to rejoice as he rejoice, rejoices in the gospel and all that it means. It's good news that Paul celebrates in the first three chapters of Ephesians. And then in the last three chapters, chapters four, five, and six, in verse one of chapter four, he says, therefore, right? Which means 
if all that I have said is true and the Holy Spirit has been put in you, then what does that mean for life and living as God's people right now when life still stinks and it's really hard and we're waiting for Jesus to return? How do you live that kind of life? Now, we can't spend a lot of time in chapters four and five, but we're gonna land in chapter six today and I'm gonna do the best that I can to help us understand, and, and, and I desperately need this, to help me understand what Paul means when he gets to this command to pray. So will you stand with me, and we're gonna read chapter six, verses 17 through 20 together. He says, put on salvation as your helmet, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit. Are y'all reading with me? Y'all can read louder. <laughs> Nothing on the screens. Oh, we're getting there. See, how, thank you. Who said that? Who said that? To, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Now, here we go. All right, here we go. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right word so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, so pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in your word. We need it. We need it. Help us to see and understand and put feet to it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Just a real brief word. Y'all can always hold me in check. Anytime. You have complete freedom, not above that, that's for sure, that's for sure. And so Paul very emphatically says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. But what's the context to this command? This is this is a good lesson in reading the word of God. You never just read verses or words in isolation. You read in paragraphs. You read in chapters. You read in letters or in books to really shape your understanding and perspective on what Paul is really trying to communicate. And what is the immediate context? Well, if we go back to verse 10, he says, okay, by the way, a final word on living this life in the spirit until Jesus returns, he says, be strong and in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And then he goes on with the armor of God that we are to put this on every day. So we go to war, not just as individuals, but as the church. So what's the context of that command to pray in the spirit? The context is we're at war. We're at war. Now granted, a war that's already won, that is secure in Jesus and his death and resurrection. It is finished. And yet, 
Until that day and the day that Christ returns to finish what he has started, there's very much a war going on and not with people that we can see. Now listen, we live in a world that would love to create the kind of tribes that are always at war with one another. I mean, the enemy wants to, to, for us to think that that person is my enemy, that group is my enemy, that politician is my enemy, that, that demographic is my enemy. But Paul says, I want you to know it's not the sinner next to you or that group. It is the unseen world of the devil and rulers and principalities. He says, I want you to know we are at war. And we long for the day that when Christ returns and we with him will reign over every nation and every unseen evil power and principality will be put to death. But until that day comes, he says, you are at war because the enemy is waging war against the church and is waging war in the world to hold captive every single person they can to the lies of the enemy. He says we're at war. That's the context. And so when we get to verse 18, Paul is talking about the kind of prayer that happens in wartime. We're in the heat of battle. When you're in the thick of it. In church, we're in the thick of it. He, He says, I want to teach you and instruct you on frontline praying. What does it look like to pray on the front Lines, the kind of prayers when you know God is on the move and he's up to something. God's up to something in his kingdom. We know that that's something. We know that from the time we spent in the Old Testament these past 13 weeks that, that God in his promises and his covenant with his people said, listen, one day there's gonna be a messianic king who reigns over every nation. That day is coming. God is up to something. And we're in the thick of it. And what does in the thick of it praying look like? That's what verse 18 and the following teaches us. And what's clear is the kind of praying that happens on the front lines in wartime, which is all the time, by the way, is not cushy prayers to a cushy God. Now, this isn't an indictment against you. This is an indictment against myself. But when I read these verses about this kind of prayer, you don't get that kind of feeling, do you? That it's this cushy kind of prayer that just stays right here with my particular needs. One of the things that that I marvel at in these verses is that at no point does Paul say, when he gets to pray for me, does he say, by the way, can you pray that God gets me out of prison? This is, I don't enjoy my suffering and I just want you to get me out of prison. He doesn't ask that. I mean, that's the kind of prayer that I ask And it's not a bad prayer to ask. He might have asked it, but he says for his instruction for the church to pray, he doesn't say, pray to get me out of prison. I kind of think maybe that was a a cushy kind of prayer. Lord, just take care of my discomfort and suffering. No, his his kind of prayer was kingdom-minded prayer. It was 
big wartime kind of prayer. God, use me in the midst of my circumstances right now. Give me the words to say, and may I say them boldly. But you don't get this idea that wartime prayer or frontline praying is cushy kind of praying. Gosh, but my, my prayer life feels awfully cushy. I don't have the kind of deep and wide praying that I read in these verses. Not like I should. I'm often left not knowing how to pray, feeling convicted that I don't pray enough, that I just pray in passing. I, I want to be able to exchange my cushy prayers with frontline prayers, don't you? I mean, cushy prayers are like being in the heat of the playoffs or some sport and really being concerned about the uniform that you wear, right? And you go into the coach and you're concerned about the uniform rather than what's happening in the next play. Or it's like being in the middle of finals week and being more concerned about prawn picks from two to three weeks before rather than what's on the final. Or it's like literally being on the front lines and being more concerned about planning a, a garden than what your commanding officer expects and has called you to do. I, I don't want that kind of prayer life. But that's how I feel my prayer life is like often enough. And so we need these words from Paul. Again, verse 18, he starts off with pray in the spirit. We're gonna come back to that but I just wanna walk through some very clear instructions from Paul. He says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. So that's the first quality that we have in this kind of frontline praying, that it's, it is uh, at all times and on every occasion. It's always and everywhere. And this always and everywhere kind of frontline praying is, is an awareness that there is never a moment that God isn't up to something, right? When you can see that I'm called to pray, which is hard to fathom how you pray everywhere and always, when prayer becomes something like breathing, you don't have to think to breathe, it just happens and it happens all the time. If you don't breathe, you die. But Paul's like, that's kind of how prayer is to be. It's but everywhere and always. But that kind of frontline, always, everywhere breathing is an acknowledgement and awareness that God is up to something in every moment, not just these moments or these moments. And you give yourself to the Lord in those everywhere, always moments, like breathing, and you pray. This is yours, Lord. It doesn't even have to, be, it doesn't have to be, like Jimmy said, it doesn't have to be like eyes closed. In fact, there's really nothing much in scripture about bowing your head and closing your eyes. It's something, a tradition we've created. It's not a bad thing. But may your prayer, Paul says, because you just don't fight in the springtime like the ancients did. The, the war is on all the time. God is up to something all the time, so you pray all the time. May there never be a season when you're not in prayer that kind of praying, you're never taking any moment for granted. And also, that kind of always, everywhere praying keeps you sensitive to what God may be doing. Every so often, there's the kind of person that I bump up into life, and they're these kind of people. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
These are the kind of people that have no problem when you're talking with them to stop and pray right then for whatever you're talking about. Or maybe it's something they hear around them. And it feels kind of awkward. Have you ever been in that situation? But man, don't you want to be those kind of people? The kind of person that says anywhere and always. Because I believe God's on the move even this moment. I might not be able to see it, but I trust if this is a war, then God's on the move perhaps even in this simple moment that I take for granted, but that God doesn't. Lord, this is your moment. Praying like that keeps you sensitive to what God may be doing. He also says, be vigilant in your prayer life. He says, stay alert in verse 18 and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. We'll get to that in a moment. But he says, I want you to be vigilant. And why does he want us to be vigilant? Because it goes back to those verses in 10 and following that the struggle is real, that this is a wartime against unseen powers, our prayer life should reflect that. It should be ready, willing, an awareness that there is a lot at stake. And there's always a readiness in our prayer life to go on the offense. Now, we're in Military City. Some of you already know this already because you're in the, uh, were in the military, are in the military, but... There, there is a phrase, a word that you use to define or describe the readiness of a battalion. Anyone know what that word is? They're like, I don't want to say it in case I'm wrong. It's redcon, right? And there's five levels of redcon. It starts at one, which is the most ready. Redcon one is like, you, you can go now. And you're ready in every single way. And it goes like from 1.5 all the way to five. And five is like... We're ready, but it's gonna take us about an hour to get all our gear and stuff together. And Paul is saying, frontline praying is retcon one. Prayer is, is not some, just something uh, that's a tool that we use here and there when it's convenient. He says, no, your prayers, praying in the spirit is, is the biggest, greatest weapon you have in your arsenal as the church. And it's Redcon 1 ready to go. Vigilant. Frontline praying is an awareness that prayer is our best offense. Gosh, I don't get that. Enough in my life. And then he says, I want you to pray for the church everywhere, for all believers everywhere. Frontline praying doesn't just stay local. It goes big. I, my tendency in my cushy prayer life, retcon 10, is, is I see my needs. And God cares about our needs. He says he knows your needs. In fact, Jesus said, you worry about so much, just like all the Gentiles do, what you eat, what you wear. Don't you know if he's gonna take care of the flower of the field or the bird in the air, how much worry he's gonna take care of you? Just seek God's kingdom first and all these things will be added Unto you, but I can get so concerned about all these things, and my prayer life just stops right there. But he says, No, your your prayer life can't just stop at your immediate needs. It's got to go move away from local to global. He says, Church, First Baptist Church, will you pray for your sister churches? 
that they will bear fruit and stay faithful to the gospel? Will you pray for your sister's churches that they would stand firm against the, 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 the attacks of the enemy? That they'll stand their ground in the gospel? Will you pray for the church in Iran and China and Kenya and Poland and Romania and all the different places that our church family goes? Will you pray for the church there? Will you pray for all believers everywhere? Now, Paul obviously was... He was thinking about these immediate little towns and cities that he had traveled in along his way as planting these churches. And of course, the churches, by God's grace and the movement of the Holy Spirit, has exploded all over the world. But will we pray for God's kingdom to come? That's how, that's how when the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? That's how he started. Your kingdom come. Paul says, well, your prayers be like, that's frontline praying as God's kingdom comes. Again, Paul's a great example of that when he says, I, I just pray that the Lord gives me the right words and the boldness in the moment to be a part of what God's kingdom is doing right now while I'm in prison and with other prisoners and the Praetorian Guard and Man, in Philippians, he'll say, listen, don't, don't be sorry for me because the gospel is on the move while I'm in prison. Perhaps it's because he prayed prayers like this, invited the church to pray for him this way. Kingdom size praying, Lord, your kingdom come. This kind of frontline praying, praying for the church or all believers everywhere is always informed by God's kingdom and not just my needs. What God's doing. Well, we pray that way. So here's the thing, I can wrap my brain around those things, even though I feel miserably added in my own life. I can get the pray without ceasing, pray always. I mean, this is not the first time Paul says this. He says this in other places, pray always, pray without ceasing, breathe prayer, because it's wartime. I understand that logically, I understand um, that we should be praying globally, that we should be praying for God God's kingdom would come all over the earth. I, I get that we should be ready and vigilant in our prayer life because prayer is our greatest offensive weapon that we have in the church. I get those things. This is what I struggle with or I need help in understanding is right where he starts. Verse 18, pray in the spirit. I want to pray in spirit. What does Paul mean by pray in the spirit? I mean, if we're going to have, if we're going to be frontline prayers, if we're going to be the kind of church that prays frontline prayers, then we can't pray, pray in the flesh because that's the opposite of praying in the spirit. We've got to pray in the spirit, right? And listen, there is so much mystery to how the Spirit of God moves. Remember, Jesus says, the Spirit of God's like the wind. You don't see him move, but he's moving. And I know there's a lot of mystery, and there's, some, there's a mystical nature to the Spirit of God and how he works and shapes the life of the believer and how we have fellowship through him with the Father. But I don't think Paul is talking about some mystical experience here. To where we just hole ourselves up in a closet or a room and we turn off the lights and get silent enough and somehow we commune with the Spirit of God and something mystical happens. I don't think that's what Paul is talking about. And 
Again, I believe the Spirit of God can lead us into some incredible, mystical, mysterious experiences as we fellowship with him and invite him to lead us in our life. But that's not what Paul is saying when he says pray in the Spirit. The reason I say that is this, is because they were always kind of questioning, is, is the Spirit of God just this kind of silent voice in my head? Is, am I waiting for the right thing? I mean, why does this person have this kind of in the spirit experience and not me? Am I doing, not doing something right? Am I not quiet enough? I don't think that's what Paul is getting at. I think he's getting at something a little more concrete that we can actually wrap our brains around that can actually help us in frontline praying. So what is that? I think Paul tells us gives us some significant clues. Most of Ephesians is about living the life in the spirit, right? And that includes praying. But we have some, I'm just gonna mention two things. It could be a lot more than this, but I just wanna mention two things that I think kinda capture for us what Paul means when he says pray in the spirit. The first thing I think he's saying is is that praying in the spirit means praying from your new identity in Jesus. Now, where do I get that? Chapter one, verse 13. He says, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own. Romans chapter eight would say, children of God, adopted heirs to the kingdom. He identified as you own, as his own, how? By giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Holy Spirit is our anchor to our new identity in Jesus. That, that's what Paul is saying. We'll see that also throughout the other parts of the New Testament. So, Praying frontline prayers in the spirit means praying out of that new identity. It's speaking the gospel to ourselves in prayer. It's saying things like this. Lord, I am thankful that I am forgiven of my sin. That's new identity kind of praying. Lord, I'm thankful and I rejoice that I'm a child of God, that I'm not under your wrath. I'm thankful that I have victory in Jesus, that I am covered by his blood and righteousness. Praying out of your identity puts to death the the enemy's weapons that will try to tell you, these are lies of the devil, that You should be ashamed of who you are. You are not worthy of God's love. God doesn't love you. You haven't done enough. You sinned yesterday. And when we pray wartime prayers on the front line, we say, no, I'm a child of God. I'm a son or daughter in God. And our front line praying, when we pray out of identity of who we are in Jesus, destroys the attacks of the enemy. And we pray that for other people too. That's why it's so important. 
for believers to come alongside other believers in their shame and suffering and speak those words of prayer. Can I remind you of who you are in Jesus? You are forgiven. You are a child of God. God sees his righteousness, not your frailty and sin. We need those reminders. Those are frontline prayers. We don't want a brother or sister held captive by lies. So we pray that way. The second way that we pray in the spirit, I think, based upon what I'm reading in scripture, is that praying in the spirit, maybe this is the clearest definition, praying in the spirit means praying the will of God through the word of God. Now notice in chapter six, when he describes the Holy Spirit in this armor, he says in verse 17, put on this salvation as your helmet and secure and take the sword of the what? Which is the what? The word of God. Paul is saying, frontline praying is praying in the spirit when you are praying the will of God through the word of God. It means praying with your Bible open. Gosh, and we, the Ephesians, the Ephesian church, they had to gather together to hear the recited word of God, the Old Testament primarily, and then smatterings of letters that grew up in the life of the church. But look at us. In God's sovereign will, by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, we, every single one of us, have multiple copies of the Word of God. And the Word of God is His greatest revelation of His will. And Paul says, if you're going to pray wartime, frontline praying, then you need to pray the will of God to come. Claim the promises that He's already revealed to us in His Word. If you want to know what to pray, pray with your Bible open. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 11 and 12. Listen to these verses about the Spirit of God. I'll begin in verse 10, actually. But it was to us that God reveals these things by His Spirit, for His Spirit searches out everything that shows us God's deep secrets. If we're, gonna, if we're gonna know the will of God, then we know the spirit knows the will of God. Verse 11, no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit, and no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not this world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given to us. And then Ephesians 6, and he says, you know what? The Spirit uses and speaks the Word of God because it's the mind of God and the will of God. If we are to be frontline prayers, not just individuals, hear me now, this is, I'm not just talking about individuals, but are we to be the kind of church that prays frontline prayers, then we need to pray through God's 
word, claiming the promises of God. And that means we have to be in God's word to pray them. For me, that means in my time with the Lord, that one of my aims is that my reading, I always read a psalm as a part of my personal time with the Lord, which is a great teacher of prayer. But I use the word of God to prompt me in my praying. And that's part of what I think Paul means. But he says, listen, I want you to do it all the time and everywhere and every occasion. I want you to do it vigilantly, Redcon 1. And I want you to do it for the church, all believers, everywhere. May that be us. May we be the kind of church and people who are front line prayers. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for Paul, who you inspired by your spirit to write these words so that we could receive them today, see them, hear them, and put feet to them. Lord, beginning today, teach us how to be frontline prayers at home, at work, as we go, for our family, for our coworkers, for our church, for the city, for the world. Help us to be on the ready. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.